Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about creating the right state ecosystem for innovation. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live. So I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zorkar, your product innovation and wild view creation expert, and I'll be your host. And today, I have a very, very special guest, Dr. Orna Berry. Hi, Orna. Hello, Andy. We're so happy that you're here. Dr. Berry is a recognized entrepreneur for, with over 30 years of experience in the Israeli science, technology, and venture capital industries. And among many other leadership roles, she held the position of chief scientist of the Ministry of uh, in, Industry and Trade in the Israeli government. So happy that, uh, that you had the time to talk to me. So I'm, I'm sure it's going to be interesting. We're live on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, and you're so invited to join the discussion and ask questions. And now we can start. What are the most important aspects of creating the right ecosystem for innovation? I think that the most important uh, uh, capabilities are connecting uh, academia, industry, and, uh, and the public sector in order to um, initiate uh, several directions of uh, innovation. One direction of innovation is uh, you invent something and you turn it into a product and you go to market. Another direction of innovation, you have a problem and you look for a solution and you go to knowledge and you extract ex as much knowledge as possible and, and there you go. So I think that the connectivity between the public sector, the academia and the industry is very important on the knowledge level. It's not a political issue. It's, it's, only, it's only presenting all the problems and presenting the solutions and connecting them fast in order to be competitive. And you feel that Israel is doing it it's better? Why is Israel so successful in innovation? Do they do this triangle better? First of all, I think that, uh, that uh, innovation in Israel is ex an existential need because um, many, many reasons, including the geopolitical situation and, and the uh, numbers, how small we are in the region that, uh, that is very different. So I think that this is part of our existential issue to have, to have solutions to, to unusual situations. Um, another, another issue is that uh, people are opinionated and are open about uh, asking questions. And asking questions often have answers. And when you have answers, it means that you, you moved, moved ahead uh, at time. So you think that the fact that Israelis ask so much questions is, is one of the secrets of what's going on in Israel? Opinion and questions are very important for innovation. And, and do we know how to connect academia and, and the private sector and, and the entrepreneurs? Um, yes and no. Yes, because we do. And no, because uh, uh, we, are, um, we like to work in free space and not to have any constraints. And any kind of collaboration between different ecosystems um, is limiting the, the freedom in a way. 
but, but I think that we have quite a bit of uh, collaboration and a lot of the advancement in science and technology emerge uh, from university uh, and emer emerge from the level of the academic studies uh, in Israel and, and, and the educational system in general. You know, but as, as someone who was like almost thinking about my kids going to university, I, I sometimes feel that universities in Israel, I don't know like worldwide, but they are not really giving the solutions for the students, maybe from the academic uh, research side, but do they really prepare them for the private sector, as we say? So the issue of uh, private sector, you're right. I think that the universities only now are uh, encouraging uh, the connectivity with the in industrial or innovative uh, uh, environment that is not to research. Um, I think almost all universities have now entrepreneurship programs for all, for all disciplines, not necessarily technological. Um, but in a way, it's, a, it's still an elective course. It's not a mandatory course. So many people are coming out um, and, and they're a little bit lost for the beginning. And consequently, many firms have significant training for people coming on board. Yeah. So other than what we said about the opinion and asking question from the governmental side that you were part of, what helped Israel become this startup nation or technology nation? It's very interesting because I was talking about the history today. And basically, um, as Israel started this very poor country, it started with a, a 15, 1.5% GDP per capita at its earlier ages relative to the United States. And Igor uh, um, Alon, who was a, a, a very influential figure until he died at an early, early age, uh, um, at the end of the 60s, um, he decided to, to see if you can turn a, a knowledge into an economical value. He, he knew very well how to turn knowledge into um, a survival method in, in defense because he was a general in, in the defense before. And he asked Frank Katsil, who was a professor at the Weizmann Institute and later was the president of uh, the state of Israel, he asked him to lead a commission back in 69. Uh, and to determine what would be the method to turn knowledge into economical value. And that was the origin of uh, setting the offices of uh, chief scientists in several uh, um, ministries, and specifically the Ministry of Defense and the Ministry of then uh, uh, Trade and Industry, later Industry and Trade and Today Economy, and now it is uh, probably moving to the Ministry of Science and Innovation, they, they, for, uh, two, of, two of the chief scientists were also director generals in the, in the government of Israel. Um, and directorates mean that you also budget specifically um, a research and development. Uh, so, so there is, a, we all know that there is a good defense R&D and it, it was followed by 
good uh, um, industrial research and development. And this is, this leans heavily on the level of academic achievements. So, so yeah. the triangle, triangle of resilience and the, and the economic growth uh, leans on, on academic achievements. Yeah, you know, I, I, until you just explained that, you know, it's, it, we always think that education is very important for Jews and for Israelis. And, uh, and it's like the first time I connected the, the fact that we're so into education and, and teaching people from very young age to the fact that it's, it's resonating in the solution of turning knowledge into, into value, actually. Yeah, so actually this was put as a strategy for the government back from the, the late 60s, early 70s. And, um, and uh, it was Chaim uh, uh, Barlev, who was the minister of then uh, trade and industry, who brought in uh, Itzhak Yaakov to become uh, the, the first chief scientist. And he, was, uh, he had the R&D in the defense before. Um, and uh, that, uh, that evolved. It evolved into, uh, initially it was just putting R&D in industry. There wasn't, the, the country wasn't uh, uh, sufficiently well to do to, to invest a lot in R&D, so the government started investing. And then uh, that distinguished companies that had uh, goals and, and was uh, facing uh, outbound the, the, the international competition and then export and creating revenues and, and income to, to the state. Um, and uh, it evolved later, you know, the, the vehicle was used when there was massive immigration from uh, uh, the former Soviet Union to create the incubation of uh, ideas of people who immigrated, but it was open to all citizens and then programs that connected with, um, uh, with academia, that uh, when you have a question uh, in industry, you can also ask academia to help you solve it. And uh, in between, there were the, the programs that uh, created first the bilateral relationship with the United States. So small companies had support for uh, creating uh, engagements um, uh, with larger companies uh, and export. And eventually that evolved into venture capital industry that, uh, that was also backed by the government in its first cycle. And um, uh, the, the, the first cycle of venture capital firms in Israel had a 30% investment of cash money by the government. Um, so, so uh, all of it, and, and, and it had very nice returns. It returned about six x after uh, after the first five years. So, so at that time, the government went out of the of the venture capital. So, in all in all, um, the government involvement in creation of knowledge came where the investment in knowledge um, was. Uh, was excessive relative to what the companies would have gone and done themselves. And, um, and this accelerated the market, accelerated also the reputation of Israel. And yeah. um, many, so, so those connections uh, between the different disciplines, the, this is uh, what urges uh, um, 
uh, urges the economic value of innovation. Innovation exists everywhere. It exists in medicine, it exists, uh, of course, in research, and it exists in resilience, but, um, but we are talking about the economical value, and that was part of the, the channel that was uh, initiated by the Alon Katsil, um, uh, you know, committee and, and, uh, and uh, set up. So I know that about in, starting the 80s, the government gave money to the VCs and they invested in high-risk startups at the beginning. And I guess that some of them grew and, and, and the entrepreneurs on the second or third trial became more and more successful afterwards. So actually, the, 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 there was venture capital in Israel. There was small venture capital in Israel, uh, like uh, Israel... Is, uh, Uh, Israel uh, Discount Corporation and, and such uh, had some, some money, but really the wave of venture capital was uh, uh, formulated in 92 and initiated in 93. And uh, I was lucky enough to be among the first, the first, uh, the first startups that were funded um, later in 93 by, by venture capital. So, so by all means, uh, some of those venture capital firms invested uh, in uh, entrepreneurs like Victor Villens, who multiple times uh, was an a successful entrepreneur. Um, there, there, are, there are others who, who did uh, phenomenally well in terms of uh, creating and pushing a completely new concepts into, into the global market, not only to Israel. Do you think that the fact we are surrounded by either CEO of people who don't like us make us prone to do things bigger from the beginning that maybe in Europe and other countries they are not doing that? Yeah, in, in many places in Europe or in the United States or even in, a, you know, in China and Taiwan, People develop, uh, uh, develop uh, uh, products that are first and foremost are con consumed within a 10 miles radius. Uh, we don't have this luxury. Whatever we invest in research and development, we're too small a, a, a market to justify the investment. So consequently, we immediately invest and many times we guess the market uh, in order to, to reach the The, the global market. Yeah. And, and do, do you think that, you know, like in the last year or so, we have so many unicorns and there is some kind of like a, a more stable, a less startup nation and more tech nation. What, what transformed us from the startup nation to have so many unicorns in Israel? So I think that that uh, we have to be careful about the fact that we are always uh, we were excelling uh, when uh, we introduce uh, new technologies and we are early uh, in, uh, in recognizing new directions. We are not that great in uh, scaling up technologies uh, and um, remaining in market. So, So, so long as we have capabilities that, that they are uh, uh, introducing new technology or new, new products that are being adopted, then, uh, then we're doing very well. 
and uh, but it's not sustainable forever because we have never really built a huge uh, a huge company and sustained it for a long time because of the the fact that uh, potentially we're far away from the market potentially we're um, uh, haven't developed the operational skills as well, uh, as, well as the, the technological innovative uh, skills. We definitely developed a lot more of the go-to-market skills, marketing skills, the sales skills. That is something that we have improved quite significantly. But, um, but still, we, we are lacking certain skills. You know, you, you can compare us to Switzerland, for example, and see that in Switzerland, uh, they still have a uh, high quality manufacturing of uh, industrial equipment, for example. Um, we don't have such, uh, uh, you know, companies that are even, uh, um, certainly we don't have companies that are 100 plus years old because we are a younger country, but, but very, very few companies um, uh, remain across the, 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 time fra the time frame of the state of Israel. Yeah. So how could governments create sustainable growth with innovation? So we started from being a startup nation and what, what is needed now? So uh, the government can do certain things and shouldn't do other things. Government is not the, I, the source of ideation. It's, it's a, an enabling force. And um, a, for example, if we want to talk about the digital health uh, discipline, uh, there are lots that the government can do in terms of removing obstacles and, uh, and creating a, a, enabling the regulation. So, so um, government can do a lot, uh, but, uh, but it's not that in the micro, it's in the macro. The environment needs to be uh, agile and uh, facilitating the innovation, and government is a facilitator. The only place I think that government is also a consumer is, is when we talk about public sector. In the public sector, the government is a big consumer. It's a big consumer of the public cloud. It's a big consumer of IT. It's a big consumer of uh, transportation. Many, many other things that it's a major consumer, but still it's a country of uh, just above uh, 9 million people. And, and it's not really a, a compatible to, to other countries. So, so we never really invest research and development just in local consumption. So what is like preventing us from moving to a, a big substantial company? Uh, and you, you mentioned that we are far away from the market, but I think it's, it's the mentality maybe of the entrepreneurs, maybe they're selling a bit too early or they're lacking the operational capabilities. What are we missing? Look, if we look at the checkpoint, for example, and Gil Schwed, he didn't sell the company. He had many opportunities to sell the company and he didn't sell the company and he, he does grow continuously uh, and is a, is a player in the global market in, in cybersecurity and, and, uh, and that. So, so, so um, not everybody is selling early, but normally if selling early, is uh, it is about the opportunity uh, 
to skip the stages that are harder to go from here, which I mentioned this operational stages, including sales operation, including uh, uh, agreements, uh, strategic agreements, uh, uh, consumption agreements. Uh, it's, very, uh, it's very important to see where the companies uh, sold. The company normally sold at the point that uh, their growth was uh, risky and um, their um, offering was competitive. And at that point, they decided to, um, to sell rather than to uh, risk the growth because uh, there are optimal, optimal places from the financial perspective. That's also a, a requirement often from the investors. And, um, and uh, for the entrepreneurs themselves, there are issues that they see the, the, the market, the global market, uh, getting congested with competitive products and, uh, and pricing is an issue and margins are lower then they decide that they will go to the next uh, issue. And uh, we've seen many entrepreneurs who did extremely well in every stage. They, they, they only learn how to go further from one uh, topic to the other. So what you're saying is not, it's not lack of capability. It's like the business opportunity was there and they took it because it was right for them as they see it business-wise. Yeah, and, and also, also when we're talking about physical products, the distance from the target market and the overhead costs uh, will not allow uh, low margins. The, the, you always need the, the high margins in order to sustain a operation, a remote operation. So, so uh, that is uh, so. I think that uh, with the emergence of software in the public clouds and such, potentially uh, certain uh, uh, applications and tools uh, that are software-based, uh, software-as-a-service-based, uh, uh, that may be an opportunity, but uh, still we aren't there. Yeah. And how do you explain more companies going public than in the past? We have more, at least in the last year, we have many very successful companies going IPO and, and public. I think that, uh, that going public is not necessarily a good sign. Um, companies are looking for funding, and if uh, their structure doesn't meet the conventional uh, venture capital or private equity, they will go public um, and, the, and the, the investors in the, the, in the public, um, in the stock exchange, uh, they um, take those opportunities because the, um, the interest rate is very low. And consequently, this is an opportunity for them, though a very high risk, because many of the companies that go public, go public, um, uh, without having other options of uh, funding. Hmm. After so many years in leading the, the Israeli tech scene, what is the role or projects you are most proud of? I'm very proud of the recent projects that uh, connect between uh, academia, industry, defense, science, and finance. Uh, 
both in the areas of uh, uh, quantum science and technology and in the area of artificial intelligence and data science. I think those are two areas that are, uh, have high potential and um, are very important for the Israeli scene. And, and, and in general, it's going to be leading the technology and of the future, more or less, like... In many it, it will be in education, it will be in health, it will be in employment, uh, everything. Do you see any risk in, in AI, especially people talk about the risk of using AI for several like, types of, of projects or roles? So AI presents risks. And for example, I'll give, a, I'll give an example. If you use a black box or say a robot in an operating room, um, then uh, you, you may ask if there is a, a malpractice, you may ask uh, who is responsible, the person who wrote the algorithm or the doctor who used uh, the algorithm. So, so there are many issues uh, from privacy of information, uh, through safety, accountability, and variety of other issues uh, that exist, but uh, on the other hand, if you regulate them and you, you give as much access to data for the research community, uh, the, the training of people writing algorithms and uh, increasing their safety and their uh, exception handling Will only will only increase, and consequently, uh, this will uh, this will make uh, using AI uh, uh, safer. Um, I, I think that we are still at the at the point that we are the, the relationship between the human and the machine are very important. It's not a matter of uh, um, having a machine that governs humans it's still the stage that you want the human to govern the machine. And, um, and uh, consequently, many times it's uh, much easier and we make choices uh, uh, that, you know, we let, uh, we let the machine decide. Uh, it's fine for certain things and for other things, we, we still need to control what the machine is, uh, is doing and to understand what we have uh, asked for. Yeah, I think that most people, when they imagine AI, they imagine like uh, someone controlling humans or being more uh, smarter than humans. And in some aspects, AI is already smarter than humans in so many aspects. But what, what, I, what comes to my mind is that even technologies that we currently have, like social media and, and the big tech uh, industries, and they are not really... Uh, regulated well because the regulations are so behind the technology. So this, we'll... is, this is true, and we've seen uh, we've seen infringement of uh, privacy. We've seen uh, um, information that uh, surfaces. We've seen uh, uh, many many. Uh, uh, occurrences, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes the control of the electrical systems, the water systems, uh, because of the fact that they are so uh, computerized, they are they are uh, being compromised, be it uh, either cyber attacks or be it uh, erroneously. Um, so, so the the digital age brings certain risks, 
and the regulators uh, are behind, uh, but I don't see, um, I don't see us walking back because, uh, for example, uh, when we look at uh, discoveries in, in uh, cancer research and the dependency on the, the uh, combination and integration of, uh, of uh, the lab with the digital information and uh, the patient record and the ability of the patient to know better, the ability of the, um, the health, uh, health taker uh, to, to, to do a better job, we won't go back on that. We, we, probably, we probably have to live with the exceptions and, the, and improve the core. And that is very important, I think, to, to, to recognize, because I don't see us uh, uh, stopping using uh, computers. Even, even uh, our conversation is based on the fact that there is infrastructure for communication, there is infrastructure uh, for, for displaying our images, there are a variety of uh, layers of, uh, of uh, hardware and software that we are using, and they are enjoying using it because it gives us uh, efficiency and in, uh, in, in line of sight. Is there any technology that you said, like, it's, it doesn't make people's life better, and I have some kind of criticism about it? Or you say like that's the way it is, and I really love technology as it is. I think that uh, technologies like uh, like uh, robotics and uh, and uh, autonomous vehicles are still at the stage that uh, that we see certain risks imposed by their introduction. But any technology uh, is is a. Uh, inferior when it is introduced and and then uh, afterwards. Um, it is uh, uh, it improves quite significantly. So I, I think I think that uh, mixed realities and, uh, and uh, augmented reality, variety of uh, of uh, capabilities, uh, when they are being introduced, it looks like either a toy or or limited uh, activity, dizziness, whatever, and eventually. It serves in operating room. It serves in the pilot seat. The variety of integrations that you can display on 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 a screen. So I think that always, even drugs, when we when we present drugs and we talked recently a lot about drugs because of the vaccination, I don't think that we would go back to having a 15, one five, 15 years of drug development for the vaccination either by. Pfizer or by Moderna, and uh, that depends heavily on the integration of the of the uh, biological knowledge that is uh, somewhat a miracle by itself. It's not uh, as logical as the mathematical uh, deduction deduction is, and the, the computer uh, access to to significant num amount of data, so you can do much. Uh, of the clinical trials in parallel and connect it uh, to, to the documentation that can go to the FDA and uh, introduce a new vision within uh, 90 days. So, so that is, uh, that is uh, quite uh, amazing and I think that the benefit in, uh, exceeds the risk. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But when, when it comes to, like I, I, I can think about social media, for example, 
that people are much more connected, but on the other side, you see more people feeling alone or uh, the fact that we want to make our lives so much better and sometimes we're much more um, sad, I would say. One of my children, I have three, three children, and one of them uh, lives in Bonn in Germany. And, uh, and this was a very difficult uh, time since I last saw her in, on March 1st of 2020. And this last weekend I, I spent uh, with her in Bonn. Um, this is uh, uh, the, the, the digital infrastructure was life-saving in a way to, to keep in touch and to sort of uh, semi-feel. And um, a, it's not a replacement. And it's not a replacement for the sense of uh, a loneliness and separation, but it is much better than uh, just, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, where, the, the way I was uh, 40 years ago in the United States that uh, I would call uh, home once every few months because, because, because of the cost of uh, uh, international calls. So I, I, think, I think that, uh, that uh, we all, um, we need to have balanced life in order not to, not to develop a, a dissociation, uh, but, uh, but uh, it, and, you know, we also are stuck in front of the computer for many hours because of the fact that we don't have the overhead of traveling places and, and we do a lot uh, through um, uh, video calls. But, but, um, but balanced life is uh, like, like nutrition. You, you, have to, you have to be aware of uh, what causes you, at the end of the day, the, the stress and the, and the unhappiness and uh, to mitigate it in time. And that means also doing some sports and, and uh, reading and, and, uh, and uh, meeting people in person when, uh, when it's uh, permitted. Yeah. So let's go back to the Israeli tech scene. So after so many years in the Israeli tech scene, how do you see the future? What, whole, what the future holds for the Israeli tech scene and what are the obstacles that it might face? Obstacles are always the competition. Obstacles are that the academic uh, uh, institutions will not be able to educate, uh, the, to give the best education uh, uh, such that people come out to, to function in a competitive position. There are many obstacles that can happen, but uh, I believe that uh, um, actually I'm optimistic about the new government that, uh, that we pay attention to, to all the, the, the levels from uh, basic education to, um, to relaxing the regulation and creating the facilitating regulations. Yeah, I, I'm I'm more optimistic with the new government too, and and I have my, one last question that I cannot like ignore as being the only woman as a chief scientist in Israel till now. What is your advice for women? I think that my my perspective is uh, just do what you want to do and do what you feel that you want to achieve. And eventually you have to comply with the fact that not everybody 
likes the fact that the woman takes uh, charge or, or is in a power position. Uh, even though this is improving relatively to, to where we were uh, many years back, but it is improving very slowly. And, um, yeah. and again, I have to go back to this government that has the largest number of uh, women uh, ministers. And normally, uh, uh, I think that uh, women who come to, to, to get to, to senior positions uh, are doing so because they, they, they are willing to, to sustain the, the, the um, I, I would say, the resistance of, the, of uh, people around them on one hand, yet to meet the, the, the major achievements that they can bring in. And, and we have some very good examples like Ruth or Oh, I missed the last sentence. Try it again. So let's see if I can bring her back. So the last sentence was just a minute. I hope I hope we'll we'll see her again. So I'm waiting for her to reconnect. There is some kind of problem with the uh, connection. I, I can tell you that I'm really um, happy that I have the chance to talk to Ona, which is a very special uh, guest for me and an inspiration actually just to talk to her let's see if 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 i can like bring her back i truly do hope science and the development so i missed the last sentence i think something is wrong with the line so i hope we can find a way to reconnect this is what happens when you're alive. I don't hear you. I will ask Ona to reconnect. So we are like in the last question. And I really hope we can, we can do it. So um, being a chief scientist in Israel is, is, is very special for a woman because it's usually a male's position. So yeah. what happened is that the, the internet went down as we spoke. Oh, yeah. So I'm calling you back from uh, my phone and I'm using the conventional uh, cellular line rather than the internet. And it's better than the internet, which is another thing we need to consider. So you, you just talked about the new government and uh, the promising of new women going into leadership. It seems like we're, we don't have enough luck here. <laughs> Yeah, but it will work. Talking to the chief scientist, ex-chief scientist, and having problem with technologies. I had it when I went to Google, and and we had a, a conference, and they had technology problems. And I said, like, it's so funny to be in Google headquarters and have technology technological problems. But but I'm sure we're gonna have the time to do it. 
Yeah. Do you hear me, Anna? Can you hear me? Partially, I hear you partially. Stuff. Um, Adi, it seems yeah. that the technology I... is against us. <laughs> two, two women talking, maybe it's, <laughs> it's related to that. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's objective. It's just the infrastructure yeah. sucks. That's yeah. Okay, so I want to thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Ona, and I really enjoyed it. It was very insightful and inspiring for me. So thank you for having the time to talk to me. Bye-bye. I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.